Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. Lord, we're grateful for your finished work on Calvary. Lord, we've gathered this morning. Lord, our desire is to adore you and bring you praise. We want to worship. And Lord, I pray that you would just calm our spirits this morning. Lord, I pray that the distractions from this past week or this coming week would, would be put away, that we would be able to, to hear from your word and to hear your, be sensitive to your spirit, and that we could hear and apply from your word the lessons that you have for us. I pray a special blessing on the service here. Pray also for the service up in Elkhart. Be with the one who preaches. Lord, I pray that you would speak through their message also. And may they bring you honor and glory there. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It was close to midnight in the town of Emmenthal, Switzerland, found several shadowy figures going along the street silently. And as they approached the house that they were headed for, they began to, to mutter to each other and the one made a comment and said, hopefully after tonight, maybe that minister won't be as loving as he has been in times past. You see, it was in the, in the 18th century when Pastor Peter and his wife found themselves amongst many Mennonites who were persecuted for not being willing to join the war that was raging. They had made a decision in their heart that they weren't going to join in. And when they were pushed by their neighbors and by the fellow townspeople to join and to help the cause, they told them that they had made a resolve that they would be willing to die the bitterest death, but they refused to disobey God's word. The men quickly came into the yard and they climbed up onto this roof and they began to take the thatch off of the roof and to throw it down on the ground. Well, preacher Peter was inside and when he suddenly woke up and he heard this, this sound, it was a strange sound, something he wasn't, hadn't heard before and he wondered what's going on. And he jumped out of bed and went across the floor of, the, of his bedroom and across the living room floor and he went out to the front door and he peered out into the night trying to figure out what's going on. And it's then he noticed there's somebody on his roof. And so he, he looked and was trying to figure out what are these men doing as they, they took this thatch off and they're throwing it on the ground. And suddenly it made sense to him. They're getting back at me for the stand I take against this war. Unsure what to do at first, he stood there for a few moments and just looked at the scene. And then he rushed into his house, quickly went into his bedroom and said, Mother, we have guests here. There are workers here. And he said, quickly prepare a meal for them. And she awoke. It was the middle of the night. And she 
quickly understood what was happening. She went out to the kitchen and she began to prepare a meal and she put it on the table. And Peter went out into that, in that early morning where it was still dark, went out on his front porch and invited the men. He said, Men, he said, friends, he said, come into the house. He said, you've been hard at work this morning, and you've done much. He said, you must be hungry. Come in and sit at our table. And he invited them in. Well, the men sheepishly crawled down from the roof. They filed into the house. And Peter said, please, sit down at our table. And so they sat down at the table, and Peter sat down with them, and he bowed his head and began to pray and bless the food. And he blessed the friends that were here to visit them. And he prayed a blessing on his family. And he thanked the Lord for the food. And after the prayer, it was pretty solemn and pretty quiet. And they passed the food and nobody seemed to be very hungry. And suddenly, as if on cue, all of the men stood up. And they filed out of the house, and as quick as they had left the roof, they jumped back on the roof, and they began to replace that thatch, and to put the thatch back on the roof. And suddenly there were footsteps running down the streets of Emmenthal, leaving in the night. What is your response to people that do things? It, when sometimes it seems like they do things purposely to antagonize us or purposely because of who we are or for what we stand for. What is your response to them? How do you respond when you find conflict in relationships, be it non-Christian or Christian people. How do you deal with those? Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. I don't have a, a scripture up on the board this morning. I, I did consider it. This morning I'm wondering, how many of you children, 12 and under, have your Bible with you? Can you raise it up? How many of you have your Bible with you? 12 and under. That's good. I see actually quite a few. And so while at times I think it is a useful tool to put Scripture up on the board and it's, it's uh, easy as a preacher to skip around to passages quickly and you can put it up and we don't wait on people to find their Scripture... Sometimes I wonder if we're losing something, and that is the, just the feel of God's written word in our hand. And I encourage you as parents, this is not to do with the message here, this is a side message, but encourage you as parents to gift your children with a Bible when they're able to read. Maybe that's first grade or whatever it is, but give them a Bible that they can carry to church. Children, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. I've been preaching out of Romans 12 for some time now, and we're nearing the end. But as I study this passage, I just, I got excited again. So let's read in Romans chapter 12, beginning to read in verse 14. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. 
Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceit. In your own conceits. Recompense to no man, evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. This morning's message is taken out of that last verse, chapter 20. If you remember, our last, my last message that I preached was on, chapter, uh, was on verse 19, where he tells us what not to do when, we face, when we're found in a situation like Pastor Peter found himself. We're told to not avenge ourselves, to not re- retaliate or not to, to not pay back evil for evil. In verse 20, he's telling us what we should do, and that's where we find ourselves today. And it says, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. This passage is actually a quote out of Proverbs chapter 25. And if you care to, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 25. I'm going to read verses 21 and 22. Proverbs 25, verse 21 and 22. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. Well, first of all, we need to maybe determine who is our enemy. Who is it that he's referring to here that we should treat like this? Because if we don't know who we're supposed to treat like this, we don't know um, who to live this verse out to. And an enemy can be many different things. If I look up the definition of an enemy, it says an adversary, an enemy, a foe, or being influenced by the devil. And so when I think about that, I think of, as pastor, as preacher Peter found himself, it was, it was a group of men there that were directly opposing his values and his beliefs that were based on Scripture. And so he had taken a stand against joining the war that, that was going on. And because of that reason, these men began to hate him. And that is what caused them to come that night and to tear down that thatch off of his roof is because they were trying to pressure him, they were trying to oppress him because of his beliefs, because of something that he took a stand for. And so I think that is one enemy that we face is our, our people who, who are put in place, I believe, by Satan to antagonize and to punish and to oppress those who are following Christ's commands. Now we may find that, we may encounter some people like that in our lives, but oftener, oftener than not, in our, where we find ourselves presently, in our, in our country, we don't face a lot of persecution 
for our beliefs. And so this scripture can kind of, it can be a little bit hard to apply that because we don't have people coming and tearing off our roofs. We don't have people coming and destroying our property because it's not allowed. Our government has set up institutions to protect us from that. But can we apply this scripture in other ways? How does it affect us where we find ourselves today? What about a personal adversary? Maybe it's someone who we contend with or who uh, just maybe not for our own belief system, but for some reason we're not able to get along with them. Several years ago, I had a job that I mowed, and um, there was a, a property right beside me, and it's in town, so it was a, a, a small, two small properties. And so I was maintaining this property, and right beside me was another man a um, had a mowing business, and he would show up to main that, maintain that property. I didn't know the man. I, had, I don't believe I had ever spoken with him. As far as I know, I had done nothing to, nothing to antagonize him. or Actually, I didn't even have a relationship with him. But when he showed up to mow his property, we would, you know, pass each other on the yards there, and, and I would wave to him, you know, and he would, he refused to look at me or wave to me, and he, and he was just always sullen and just upset. And uh, one time I observed him, he was, he actually, as he finished up his job, he went over to my side and just threw something down at the ground and he was, he was always shaking his finger at my truck and trailer and I honestly I didn't, I didn't even know, I had no idea how I could even help the situation because I didn't know what I had done wrong but you know there's something inside of me that just kind of makes me want to blow grass over on his side you know go the wrong way and, and there's you know in the fall maybe when I blow leaves instead of piling leaves out at my curb maybe I could just put them over at the neighbor's so my curb would be nice and clean you know, there are, we find ourselves in life sometimes where we maybe don't have a, a direct enemy from Satan, but there are people in our lives who just chafe us a little bit or, or we have a hard time relating well to them. Can we apply this scripture in those instances? Or maybe those people are even just down the bench from us in church. Maybe those people are a couple benches behind us or a couple benches in front of us. And even though we wouldn't call them our enemy, there are relationship tensions that we feel with them. Can we apply this verse in those situations? Who is our enemy? John 13, 35 says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And I think that refers to us loving outside of the church, but I believe there are many eyes that are watching Christians, and they're looking in on Sandy Ridge and they're observing and they're saying if they can't love each other how do they love God 
By this shall all men know that you love that you love me, that you're my disciples, if you love one another. And so our relationship in church, our relationship in brotherhood, is a test and is it, it shows what my relationship is with God. How are we doing? Second part of verse 20 says, so he tells us, if our enemy hungers, it says, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. Give him food and drink, our enemy. You know, food and water and shelter, we refer to as the basic needs of life. What we need to live, what we need to survive. Hunger and thirst are probably, of those three, are probably the most crucial if we don't have them. Because if we, if we don't have food and water, um, we're not going to make it very long. Eventually, we will die. And he's saying, if, if we see somebody like that, even if it's our enemy, and we see that they have a need, they need food, they need water, just the, just the basics, that we should give those to them. We should provide those to them. You know, I, I, put, I place myself in, in the people from Ukraine. I place myself in their shoes, and I wonder, how do you do that? A Russian shows up at your door, and he's hungry. Sorry, I ran out of food. We don't have any food here. Or, you know what? Actually, I do have some food in the basement. I'd be glad to cook something for you. How do, how do we respond? How would I respond in a situation like that? When another country is here invading my country, they're destroying everything that I knew. They're my enemy. Am I willing to give them food? Am I willing to provide for the needs that I see? And maybe in the brotherhood here, we don't see those needs. So that doesn't apply, right? So my brother is, is never really hungry or actually thirsty because we have everything that we need. And so... This scripture doesn't really reply, apply to us here, but does it? Maybe there are needs in the congregation. Maybe we do see needs in, in that brother or sister's life, that person that chafes us just a little bit. Am I willing to see that need and, and to supply it? You see, sometimes the harder needs to supply, it, it's pretty easy to make food and, and give water and, and just sustain life. But when I see somebody is actually, they're doing quite well. They're, they're living. They're not nigh unto death. But when I see a need for friendship, when I see a need for care, when I see a need for love, those are sometimes the hard things to serve up. It's hard to go the second mile. It's hard to reach out into and to give to that person that last week rubbed me a little bit wrong. You see, it's, it's hard to reach out to that person at work or to that person on the job site who constantly blows grass in my yard or does, does this or that or they park in, the, park in the wrong spot. They always park in that place and it's right in the front of my business and if they would move their truck our customers could park there you know it's, it's hard to reach out to people like that who just you know it's 
they don't really do things that are wrong, but they're just, it's just a little burr in the saddle. It's hard to reach out to people like that and say, how can I serve you or to show love to them? Sometimes it's financial needs. When we see needs around us, people that need financial help. We were in Belize uh, several weeks ago, and my wife was singing in their Sunday school class. One of the ladies was sharing that they had a neighbor who had a um, uh, physical illness and, and um, needed some treatment, and they were asking for money. And this neighbor, I, I believe, was a non-Christian, and they came in, and they had they made their needs known to this lady and her family. And in times past, the person that was sick had not been very kind to this Christian lady and her family. They had treated them, I don't know what they did, but they, they've just made it rough for this family. Now they have a need, so they come making their need known. And this lady was just sharing in her Sunday school class, she said, you know, I know what I should do, and I know what I want to do. And they're two different things. And it's hard to know when I want to do this, it's hard to bring myself to do this, even though it's the right thing to do. And she was asking for prayer, saying, pray for me that I could do the right thing. Financial needs, needs of friendship. What are those people in need of? You know, sometimes we, we even go and we decide we will give. I will help. And, and so we go past my, I go past my feelings and what I would like to do, and I choose to do the right thing. And so I, I give. And then what I give is rejected. What I give isn't good enough. What I give isn't done with the right attitude. What I give isn't enough. And that's frustrating. But friends, God gave us his best. God sent his best down to this earth as a gift. He didn't have to do that. But it's, he, it's because he cared about us that he sent Christ down to this earth. He sent his son and even after he gave his best, the world rejected that. And sometimes you and I reject that. We reject that gift that has been given to us. Can I rise above somebody refusing the gift that I give them? Or saying it's not good enough. Or it's, it doesn't quite meet their expectations. Can I give? Can I give some more? Can I say, I'm sorry, how can I meet your need? Can I continue to give out of a heart that cares? Desiring to meet that need. Not being stingy in meeting that need. Not just giving because I have to. Because Romans 12 says I should do that. But going past that and saying, being generous with what I have, being generous with my time, being generous with my finances, being generous with my relationships, caring about those people. Give, 
give and give. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. As a youngster, I remember growing up and hearing this verse, and in my mind's eye, I was just thinking, you know, a steel shovel and coals and just piling them on. And I was thinking, well, I'm not sure how this scripture's all supposed to be, but boy, it, you know, it sounded like that would feel good, you know. Somebody oppresses you, you know, you have your enemy here, and now I'm scoop shovel. I'm coals of fire piled on their head, right? What are coals of fire? In my... In my human mind, I would say revenge, right? It sounds like, sounds like pain. It sounds like get even. It sounds like melt them down for what they did. Sounds like it would feel really good to uh, deal out coals of fire. Well, coals and ashes are referred to in Scripture in different places. And one of the ways that coals is used, and this, this is probably the way that in my mind's eye that I was uh, picturing them, in Psalm, chapter, in Psalm 140, verses 9 to 10, David is praying judgment on his enemies. And he's, he's, he's praying coals of judgment, that God would rain down these coals. Lord, destroy them. And that's one one uh, instance of coals being used in Scripture is for revenge or for destruction or for wrath. Another way is in uh, 2 Samuel 22, 7 to 9, um, it's referring to the power and destruction of God. And it refers to smoke coming out of his nostrils and fire from his mouth. And I get that picture of this, of this big God breathing out fire and there's, there's smoke and there's, there's heat. And there's, there's destruction coming out. And in my old man, I'm thinking, yes, that's, that's what I want. I, I, more of it, God. Re, bring those coals of fire. But that, that's not really what he's referring to. Another, uh, in Psalm 11, verses 5 to 7, it talks about raining coals on the wicked. And that is in the New King James Version. Raining coals out on those who have, have made things hard for us. Raining coals out on those who have it in for us. Make raining coals on those who just antagonize us every day. That person who, who parks in the wrong place or whatever he does. You know, sometimes in my old man, I, I want to get out. If you remember last message I preached about the killdozer, that bulldozer. Sometimes I want to get in there and just close that door and just drive. And just push things. And just let those coals of fire just push things out of the way, those people that, that come into my life, those people who, who make it hard, I'll just, I'll push them and I'll destroy them and I'll just bring those coals of fire. But that's not what he's referring to. You see, Scripture also uses coals that are burned out, and it refers to them in different passages. Turn with me in Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. Children, Job is right before Psalms. 
Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. Job chapter 42, beginning to read in verse 1. It says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that thou hast no, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understand not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, and but now mine eye seeth thee. And so Job saying, I see that I was wrong, but now I see you. And then in verse 6 he said, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so Job's coming to the end of himself. And in, in Bible times, this was a common practice uh, when you were showing um, sorrow or remorse of sins or you were mourning a death that you would put uh, sackcloth on and you would put ashes on. Ashes are what? They're coals of fire that have burned out. It's what's left over after the coal is, is dead, after it's, it's gone, is depleted. But it's, 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 a, it's showing a sign of, of wanting change, of, of remorse for what has happened in the past. And that's what Job is doing here. Another passage I like to read is Jonah chapter 3, verse 6. I'm just going to read one verse here, and this is the king uh, after Jonah had preached in Nineveh, this is the king coming out and says, Jonah chapter 3, verse 6, For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And so after Jonah had preached, the king had a change of heart, and he, he came and he, he put this sackcloth and ashes on himself, there was a change of heart. There was something. He was remorseful for what had happened. And he desired something different. You see, this is a piece of wood that I cut. We heat with wood in our home and actually in our shop. And this is a piece that I had cut for our shop. This piece of wood is hard. This piece of wood has a, a specific purpose. I designed it in a way for a specific purpose. Now, this piece in itself is actually not very dangerous. But as a young boy, I remember loading wood on the, on the truck, and uh, me and my cousin would be up on the truck loading wood, and our fathers would be throwing the wood up on the truck for us to load. Now, it can become very dangerous very quickly as a young boy. And you're up there and you're trying to, you know, our, our fathers were busy talking and they would split the wood and they would throw it up like that. And we're up there trying to, to uh, dodge the pieces of wood. So it can become dangerous. Ask my son how dangerous it can become. One piece of wood gave him his finger fits for two or three months and ended up in a surgery where they actually had to go in and clean out the infection around the bone because a piece of wood landed on his finger. You see, 
it can be hurtful. And sometimes there are things, there are people in our lives who are a little bit like this piece of wood. And they begin to bump against us. And they begin to, we trip over them. And they, it, it hurts our shins. We stumble over them. Sometimes it's even thrown at us. And we begin to feel that. And it doesn't feel good. And I don't know, but when you're up on a pickup and that piece of wood comes up and hits you in the shin, it just makes you want to holler. And I remember a couple times, as respectful as we could, we told our fathers that they need to pay attention where they're throwing the wood because it doesn't feel good. And you know what? Sometimes in life, I'd like to do the same thing. When a piece of wood comes up and bumps me, and I'd just like to... Tell them where it's at and to quit throwing that wood. This wood, if it does what I've designed it to do, is going to go through a transformation. So I'm going to place this in my wood stove. And in order for it to be useful to me, I'm the one that created this piece of wood in this state. I cut it and split it. I didn't actually grow it. But in order for this to be useful to me, it needs to go through a transformation. And what needs to happen is, I need to start a fire, right? And so there are coals that are going to get against this piece of wood and that are going to begin to burn it. And it's only then that this wood begins a transformation into something else. And as it's in that transformation, it creates heat, which heats my home. We are to be and place coals of fire against our enemies. We are to be those coals who come up against this piece of wood and begin to help it change. When I go into my wood stove, and last night it happened, it's, it's, hard to make wood, it's hard to make wood fires right now with the weather that we have and keep your house at an even 72 degrees. So it's either 76 or 68. It's hard to... And so yesterday I made fire, and last evening we were gone, and I debated, do I go down and put some more in, or do I let it go out? And so I let it go out, and by the time we got home, it was cold. And I went down to the stove, and I opened it up, and I got my poker out, and, I, and I, what I was looking for were, are there any live coals in there, or do I have to restart the fire? Because if there are some live coals, I can rake them around, uncover the ashes from them, and blow them off a little bit. They heat up, and I can put a fresh piece of wood on, and it will take off. Well, I didn't feel like messing with it, so I just started a new fire. But when there are hot coals of fire in my wood stove... I can get, I can change, I can make this piece of wood do what it needs to do much quicker than having to restart the fire. Friends, we are to be the coals of fire to those around us. We are to be coals of fire to those who bump up against us, to those people who bump us in the shins and who we trip over. Because God wants to transform them into something. And what happens is as that coal comes up against this wood and begins to burn it, eventually it becomes a coal, but 
once it goes past that stage, it becomes ashes. As I said earlier, Scripture refers to ashes as being a, a type of remorse for past things that have happened. You see, it's as we are those coals in people's lives. As we are those coals, we don't change them, but we are the agents of God to help bring about that change. As we serve them, as we reach out to them, as we, we ignite them, a, a fire starts to light. And the, the idea is, the, the concept of what God wants to happen is He wants to transform that person into something. But we are those agents. We are the, to be the hot coals. We are to be the coals reaching and changing and, and, and igniting. The fire, so God can, so the Holy Spirit can do His work. A scripture came to mind this morning, and I'm I'm going to be open to uh, correction here if I'm taking this out of context. And I read this scripture in Revelations chapter three, and it's where he's he's preaching or he's he's speaking to the church of Laodicea, and he says, "I would rather have you hot." Or have you cold? I don't want you lukewarm. Or I'll spit you out of my, I'm out of my mouth. And I never could quite, I, I understand the concept that we're supposed to be on fire. God wants us on fire. He doesn't want us in the middle. I understand that. But I began to wonder this morning, would God rather have me <clears throat> either hot and on fire as a coal or would he rather have me be in the ashes place where I'm remorseful for what I've done? He doesn't want me in the middle where I'm not really sorry for where I've been and I'm not really affecting anyone on this side. I'm not a cold to anyone. Am I taking that out of context? I hope not. But I think there's something there. He would, I think God would rather see us on fire being that hot coal Being cold and being in that ash state where I'm remorseful for what I've done. I'm mourning for my past sins and saying, God, light that fire. Light that fire, Lord. Let me be a coal. You know, another interesting concept is you take this wood and if you burn it and you, you, you cover it and you don't let oxygen get to it, what happens? it burns down and it turns into a piece of charcoal. And it's still very useful. That charcoal actually will burn hotter and longer than just a piece of wood. Heaping coals of fire on somebody's head is being active. Coals of fire are active. They're not passive. It is, it is acting, it is doing, it is serving. And I believe that's the state as Christians that we're supposed to be in. We're not supposed to be in that, yes, we need to come to that state of mind where we are, we are in sackcloth and ashes. I'm remorseful for who I was. And I'm remorseful for, for 
for what I was a sinner lost. But now I'm grateful for what God has done and I'm, and I'm on fire and I'm going forward and I'm affecting other people. It is important that I don't stay in that state of remorse. But I live out of that. That's what causes a transformation. A fire that reaches out to people around us in the community. That reaches out to people here in church. That reaches out to people at work. And serves the needs that are there. Let's kneel for prayer. Father in heaven, we're grateful for your transforming power. Lord, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross. And Lord, I pray that we would not reject that gift that you've given to us, but that we would accept it. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be able to transform us, that your spirit would, would bring us to that point of, of remorse, of ashes and, and sackcloth. But then, because of that, Lord, that we would see you and see the hope and the salvation that you've given to us and that we would live a life that is on fire, reaching out and serving our brothers and sisters and those around us. Lord, may you be honored and glorified through our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.